that was teaching a Sunday school class. And he asked his class an important question. It was part of the Bible lesson. This pastor asked his young Sunday school class, who tore the wall down in Jericho? And the kids all kind of looked at each other looking for an answer. And little Billy raised his hand and he said, I don't know, but it wasn't me. <laughs> well, as you can imagine, that really upset the pastor. And he got to thinking, have I failed this congregation? Have I failed this church? Are they not getting it? And he wanted to share this with his elders. And so in an elders meeting, he related that story. He told them, you know, I, 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 I was teaching them, and I asked them the question, who tore the wall at Jericho down? And he told his elders, he said, and Billy said, I don't know, but it wasn't me. And his head elder raised his hand. And he said, I know Billy and his family. I've known them for years. And if Billy says he didn't tear that wall down, <laughs> then he didn't tear it down. Thankfully, and that's what today's sermon is going to be about, is how thankful we are for the Word of God. And I'm going to share a portion of Scripture that I am just so thankful for the Word of God. But I'm thankful that that would never, ever happen here. I'm not going to try you by asking you who tore the wall down, but I am, maybe later I'll, I'll ask you. But that would never happen here. I am thankful that during the course of the week, I get texts and emails from people asking Bible questions, straightening me out on certain Bible questions and doctrine. I praise God that I pastor a church where the people aren't afraid, number one, challenge their pastors, challenge their elders from the Word of God. That really is exciting because you understand how necessary and how wonderful the Word of God is. I'm thankful that I get texts from people saying, you know, as I, as I study the Scriptures tonight, I'm probably not going to get to sleep because of all the questions and all of the, and just how exciting it is to study God's Word. Folks, that's the type of church that God blesses. That's the type of church that God uses. And we have a church load of folks that love God, love His Word. And I'm thankful this morning that you love God's Word, that you love God, and I'm thankful for God's Word. I'm thankful that Psalm 119.105 tells us that it is a lamp to our feet and a light. It's a, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And you know that. So you study God's Word. I'm thankful that I pastor a church that understands that Psalm 119, verse uh, 119, is, is in the Scripture. 119, verse 11, is in the Scripture. That 
Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, you, you understand that. You understand that, that sin will keep you from your Bible, but your Bible will keep you from sin because that's what the Holy Spirit uses to convict. It's God's Word. The Lord Jesus Christ, He is the Word. And the Holy Spirit blesses His Word. I'm thankful this morning for Psalm 119, verse 161. That says, my heart stands in awe of thy word. And I agree with the psalmist. I stand in awe at God's word. And one of the verses, or a bunch of the verses, that I'm going to share with you this morning, are verses that I stand in awe. As I read God's love letter to us, as I read God's instruction manual to us, as I, read, as I read God's Word and I understand that this is God revealing Himself to us, to, uh, revealing His character, revealing His righteousness, I praise God for His Word. And I praise God for a church that loves His Word, that desires to study it. And nowhere is this more true than in Ephesians chapter 2. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning? And as we get started with that, I want you to look up at Ephesians chapter 1 because I want, it, I want you to have an understanding of who Paul is writing to here, this Gentile church in Ephesus. Verse 22 Paul is telling this church in Ephesus, and hath put all things under his feet, his, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. I want you to understand that you are the body of Christ. He is the glorified head. That means he directs, that means he is in charge, but you are his body. Look at verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We talked a little bit about this last week, that as Jesus Christ is the fullness, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the Godhead being God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You want to know God the Father? You look to God the Son. You want to know God the Holy Spirit? You look to God the Son. The Scriptures reveal Him to be our God. God in the flesh. God incarnate. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we have the privilege, the joy, the position, according to verse 23, of being the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You don't think your position in the body of Christ is not important? We talked a little bit about this last week. Folks, it's important. You need to understand what God's plan and purpose is for the church, but it is so special 
that in the ages to come, you are going to be that which he displays as a picture of his grace, his mercy, as his love to all creation. That's who you are. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You know, we, our minds are too finite. Our minds are too limited to be able to grasp the full extent of that truth. But one of these days we're going to know it. One of these days we're going to understand it. And it is going to be glorious. And that day's coming. So that's what Paul, hallelujah, is right. That's the last verse in chapter 1. But remember this, that when this was being penned, there was no chapter 2. It goes from verse 23 right into the second chapter. It just kept flowing. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth in all. And you, talking about that body that fills all in all, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, when in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Stop there. And you who were dead in trespasses and sin. I love the King James Bible. Praise God for the King James Bible. I believe that is the translation we're to use. But see, even in the translation, hath he quickened or had he made alive? Um, that's not in the original. And we know it's not in the original because it tells us it's not in the original because here it's in what? Italics. It's in italics. They're telling us, okay, this is not in the original, but we're going to add this because we think it gives clarity. I wish I'd have been there because I would have said, wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm not sure of that. So the way we read this, and you who filleth, you fill Christ up as his body, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins... The difference between trespasses and sins is really narrow. Trespasses has to do with uh, morally failing, morally falling, not able to stand when you need to stand. Sins has to do with missing the mark. You, there's nothing righteous about you. you. You're going to sin. You're going to miss the mark. You're not going to be able to obtain that, that righteousness of God, that holiness of God. Because you're going to miss the mark every time. Think of a target. And, and it's, you, are, you are, as an arrow, you're going to fall short of that target. So morally you fall. You're not capable of reaching that glorious point, position that you need to, to be righteous. And that is your lost condition. To be spiritually, you are spiritually dead. And the Bible talks about being dead in sin, 
which is bad. You don't want to be dead in sin and being dead to sin. Not where sin no longer has a dominion over you. And when you are in Adam, part of the children of disobedience, you're in Adam, you are lost, you are dead in sins and trespasses, but when you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. Now, I disagree with some of my dear, precious Calvinist Reformed theologians who take that verse and mean it to believe that basically God has to save you before He saves you, which I think is ridiculous. Where it talks about you are dead and dead men can't believe, so God has to quicken you. And they use that verse there that says, and hath quickened you, and it's not there, but that's one of the verses they go to to use. But that verse is not there. That portion of it is not there. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Yes, you were. You were spiritually disconnected from God because of Adam's sin. In Adam we all die. In Christ we're all made alive. And they'll tell you, well, but dead men can't believe. Well, look at verse 2. Dead, dead men can't sin and trespass either, but they seem to be doing it here. Wherein in times past ye walked. Can dead men walk? No. Uh-uh. So this has got to be talking about something other than just being dead and not capable. Yeah, you're dead. You're not able to save yourself. But it doesn't mean you can't do something. And we're going to talk about that something in just a second. Oh, no, I'm not going to wait. You can't you can believe. You can't save yourself. But you can believe. Because God, if you... If you can't believe, then God's going to have to save you before He saves you. He's going to have to make you spiritually alive so that you can go, Oh, yeah, I, I believe. It's not what the Scripture teaches. It teaches that you were, in times past, you walked according to the course of this world. If you're dead, you can't walk according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's Satan. That is Satan. When you were dead in sins and trespasses, you were literally walking in the course of this world. And the course of this world is following after Satan. The course of this world is absolutely away from God. You can't do it if you're the kind of dead that they say you are. Matter of fact, God's Word does a comparison between the course of this world which takes us away from God that is according to the prince and power of the air who is Satan. We're also told in Scripture that Satan is what? He's the God of this world. People say, well, I just, if, if there was a God, how come so many bad things are happening around the world? Why is, why is there so much evil? 
We'll just look to see who the God of this world is. That's Satan. He is the one that has dominion. I think that's about to change. When Christ returns, that's about to, that's about to change. But the course of this world leads away from God. But look at, look at Ephesians chapter 4. How does God want us walking? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, no, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, and he's talking to the same people, right? Those in Ephesus. I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. What vocation is that? What calling? Because the word calling, a vocation there literally means calling. That you walk worthy, not after the course of this world, because that's straight to hell. That's destruction. The course of this world is enmity with God. We're instructed this body of Christ that he's talking to here, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. You know what you're called as? The heirs of God. The joint heirs of Christ. That is your calling. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 17. Ephesians 1, 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. That's the calling is talking about in Ephesians. That you may walk worthy of that calling. His calling on high. His calling as being heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ. To be trophies of His grace, you are to walk worthy of this God who loves you, who has redeemed you through His sacrificial death on Calvary's cross. Your invitation is to walk worthy of Him and that calling, not to walk worthy according to the course of the world, the direction that the world wants to take you. That is the way you walked when you were dead in trespasses and sin. I'm telling you, there's got to be a difference in your life, in your conduct. When God changes your life, He makes you that new creation. Folks, there's a change that has taken place in your life. And I want to tell you flat out, it needs to be evident. Amen? Because God doesn't just save you and go, okay, I'm done with that one, next. He doesn't do that. He begins to work in you. He begins working in your life in order to conform you to the image of His Son. And that work is continual. Yes, He quickens you. He makes you alive. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. When in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now works. Hey, the spirit of Satan was working back then, and it's working today. Maybe a little overtime today. Because he can read the book too. 
I think he has an idea of what's coming. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Uh, that's literally, literally, literally describing sons of Satan. The children of disobedience. I think it goes back to the disobedience in the garden when Adam disobeyed God. Remember, Eve was deceived. Satan deceived her. Satan did not deceive Adam. What did Adam do? He willfully disobeyed God. Talk about disobedience. God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did he do? He disobeyed God, and he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was not deceived. Talk about the children of disobedience. Children that continue, are sons, children of, God, children of disobedience, those that continue to disobey God and follow the course of this world. That's, that's what the picture that Paul is painting here for us to understand. It's the spirit of Satan, evil, that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, this is Paul writing, we all, he includes himself in this, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Boy, that's, that's kind of a concerning, that's dire circumstances. To be the children of disobedience, which actually puts you in the group of children of wrath. And you don't want to be in any one of those groups, okay? Let's get something perfectly clear. You don't want to be in either one of those groups. But you were by nature. This is talking about the old man. Remember we talked about um, man, man does not have two natures. We do not have two natures. I think that's a false teaching. Christ Jesus is the only one who ever had two natures. He had divine nature and he had human nature. We have one nature, which is human now that human nature really battles it out between the flesh and the spirit when that spirit belongs to god you've been saved you've been redeemed the flesh this corruptible is going to continue to do battle with that spirit it's it's a gigantic warfare that goes on but you're only one nature you're a human nature only Christ was two natures. But that old man that the Bible talks about, you were by nature, that old man, the children of wrath, even as others, dead in sins and trespasses, needing a Savior. Horrible condition, a horrible position to be in. And you look at history, man 
tried to better himself. He, from the time the tower was built in Babel, as they re- wanted to reach up to the stars and study the stars, and, and they started coming up with all sorts of false religion, and, and they refused to worship the true and living God, and, and they started devising uh, false religion. Man has always tried to be good to an extent. Man has always tried to worship something. It might be a rock. It might be a tree. Most of the time it was himself that man wanted to worship. And that leaves him in a pretty dire circumstances because let me tell you what you can't do. You can't save yourself. You can't do anything to save yourself, to deliver yourself. Man, oh man, am I glad verse 4 is there. You were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And let me encourage you to take this scripture personally. Don't read this and go, boy, Paul was letting that church at Ephesus have it. Man, he was teaching some remarkable truths to those believers. You need to take it personally, including the next verse. You were children of disobedience. You were children of wrath in your manner of life, your manner of living. That's what conversation, the word conversation there means is in your life, among whom also we had our conversation, in whom we lived. That's how we lived. How do we live? In the lust of our flesh, the fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Leaves us sort of hopeless, doesn't it? Except for the next verse. Except for the next verse. But God. But God. What a conjunction. What a conjunction. But God. Children of wrath, children of disobedience. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. When did God love us? I can tell you this. Before we loved him. God loves us before we ever loved Him. I dare say there is not one human being who has ever gotten saved loving God. Because they're lost. They're the children of wrath. People get saved... Because they want to be delivered from the penalty of sin. They want to be delivered from hell. They realize they're sinners. They get saved realizing they need God. But they're not capable of loving God until, actual, until God saves them, gives them that new heart, gives them, makes them new creations. Then they can start loving God. Don't you love God a whole lot more now than you did the day you were saved? You might have been a little more energetic the day you were saved 
and you realized, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Oh, He saved me from this sin. I, I, he's rescued me. And you might be a little more exciting, excited. It might even be more, a little bit more exciting too. But you're more excited. And you want to make sure your friends and your family and people with whom you come in contact with, you, uh, you, you, want, you want them to know about the goodness of God. But you really haven't learned to love it. He's just now changed your heart. He's just now come into your life and giving you the ability to love Him. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin. See, that goes back up to verse... That's the reason they, they took... That is in the original. It, that is there. Why they felt like they had to push it up there to that other verse, I don't know. They didn't ask me. But verse 5, even, he, he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, He has made us alive. Together. He's made us alive together. With Christ, by grace are you saved, by unmerited favor, by something you just absolutely, positively do not deserve, because you are the children of wrath. You are the children of disobedience. You walked according to the course of this world, involved in all of those things that Paul is telling this church in Ephesus they were involved in. And you may say, no, I, I didn't do all those things. Let me tell you, you were just as lost as the dirtiest murder, rapist, Satan worship, worshiper until Christ. You were just as lost. I remember in college, uh, we, we had, we'd have times of testimony in, in our chapel. And I'd listen to some of those students testimonies of what they had done and where they had been and I was afraid to give my testimony because all God had really ever done was save me I'd never done all those things that they had talked about doing number one my daddy would have beat me number two my football coach I wouldn't have played I, I, I didn't do all those things and I'd listen to them and I'd blush and I would think, boy, if I'm going to be fit for God's service, maybe I ought to go out and sin the way they've sinned, and then maybe that would enhance my testimony. Folks, I actually thought that way. I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit where He nudges you and goes, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Faye Baker straightened that guy out, and he, he used her to do that. See, I was just as lost. I couldn't claim to have done all the weird and wacky and evil things that a bunch of them were doing. But I was just as lost. It took the same blood that flowed on, from Calvary's cross to save me, who was a son of Adam. It took that same sacrifice to make me a son of God. To go from being in Adam, lost, condemned, following the course of this world 
to go from that to being in Christ, a joint heir. God loved me when I was in Adam. Oh, I'm thankful. He loved me enough to carry a cross up Golgotha's hill. He loved me enough to allow them to put spikes through his hands and spikes through his feet and a spear through his side. He loved me enough to pay that debt for me. Provide salvation when I would do the one thing that those that were dead in sins and trespasses could do. And that's belief. That was belief. I could believe that Christ died for my sins. I could believe that He was buried for me. I could believe that He rose again. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together. So He made us alive together. He's raised us up together. He's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are seated in the heavenlies this very moment. Can you say praise God for that? You are seated this very moment by virtue of the fact that you are in Christ. You are in Him. You are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ. That's the way God the Father sees you. Made alive together, raised up together, made to sit together. That's presently. That's not future tense. That's not something that, that is going to happen someday. In the mind of God, you are seated in the heavenlies this very moment. It's just your body hasn't made it, but in God's mind, you're there. Why? 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 Verse 7. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I have written next to my Bible, or next to that passage, trophies of grace. That's what you are. You're a trophy of God's grace. In the age to come, in eternity, He is going to point to the church, His body, and you are a demonstration, you are proof, you are a trophy of His amazing love, His amazing grace that He has shown through His Son, Christ Jesus. That's what it says. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to be. 
when we're in heaven and we're, I, I kind of like to think of them, when we're walking in heaven and we're walking and we're talking uh, about how wonderful heaven is, there are going to be angels over there with their wings folded going, those are some of those redeemed. Those are some of those that, oh, he loves them. He loves those so much. And as we start singing Amazing Grace, the angels are going to have to back away because they can't sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Angels can't sing that song. Angels can't declare. They might be able to say, look how beautiful we are. Look how powerful we are. But not even the angels can boast in the cross. We can. Folks, that's amazing love. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Oh, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There'll be absolutely no backslapping in heaven. There will be no high-fiving in heaven. There will be nobody in heaven smelling of smoke. Do you understand that? You'll be in heaven because of the precious blood of Christ Jesus that flowed from Calvary. You're going to be in heaven because the power of God raised Christ Jesus, the perfect Lamb who death had no claim to, raised Him up from the grave alive. You're going to be in heaven not because of anything you have done, not by works even of righteousness that you've done, but because of His grace. Because you did exactly what He said for you to do. His invitation was to believe, and you believed. And He did all the work. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. This is not from you. And this... And, and this not of yourselves, that's referring to the salvation. I know a lot of people say, well, it's, well we know it's God's grace, uh, but you couldn't have believed unless He gave you the faith to believe. It's not referring to faith. It's not referring to grace. It's the wrong gender. Uh, the pronoun has to fit. It doesn't, only fits one thing in that verse. For by grace... Are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves? It is the gift of God. That gift of God is salvation. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's God's gift. Salvation is the gift. You're saved by God's unmerited favor through faith. Now, if you want to argue whose faith that is, we can talk about, is it your faith? My, I, I think without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
but you're saved by grace through faith. Let's give all the glory, let's give all the credit to the one to whom it's due, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace, God's grace, are you saved through faith, His faithfulness to say, I'll die for them. I'll give my life for them. And that's exactly what He did. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me stress this again today. Works does not produce salvation. Right? Salvation produces works. Right? And the next verse kind of proves that quickly. Not of works, verse 9, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Does God want you working for him? Absolutely. Are you ambassadors for Christ? Absolutely. The question is, what kind of ambassador are you going to be? Are you ministers of the word of reconciliation? Absolutely. The question is not whether you are or not, what kind are you going to be? For you are his workmanship. The word workmanship there is poema. It's poema. I like that word. Poema. It means masterpiece. You know which word we get for the word poema? Poem. You're God's poem. You're His masterpiece. Isn't that a beautiful concept? Isn't that great knowing that not only has He saved us, not only has He delivered us from the course of this world, not only has He quickened us, the moment we believed... He's made us His masterpiece. And He's working in our life to conform us to the image of His Son. What a mighty God we serve. When I read that about workmanship, His poema, and we'll bring this up again next Sunday because we're going to finish part of that. You go to Jeremiah 18 where it talks about the potter. What the potter does, the lump of clay. I think it's fitting for us to think of ourselves as just lumps of clay. If you want to think of yourself as a diamond, okay, you do. But I I know me better than that. I'm a lump of clay. And God takes that lump of clay and He molds it and He shapes it and He makes it useful for his purposes. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. If you don't know this God, let me encourage you to settle the most important issue you'll ever find in your lifetime. The most important issue is what will you do with Christ? Will you by faith believe? 
God doesn't require anything else. Do you know where, nowhere in the Scripture does it say that you, in order to be saved, you have to ask Jesus into your heart? You know that? See, that's, that's another one of man saying, well, let's add to it. it let's think, you've got to do something. You have to ask Jesus into your heart. It doesn't say that. Folks, I'm not going to teach something that's not scriptural. Do you know that God's Word doesn't say that you have to sing five or six verses of just as I am slowly and let people walk down forward so that they think that, okay, I got that done. Where you're actually exercising and doing something. Here at Bible Fellowship, we go out of our way to try to avoid anything that we do in order to merit or bring about salvation except for doing what God's Word says, and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's it. What we're doing is acknowledging, God, you did the work. You accomplished what I couldn't accomplish. You paid the debt that I could have never paid with no amount of works of righteousness. Well, we're going to pick back up with that next week. But if you don't know Christ, this is the moment, as I pray now, for you by faith to trust Christ. Father, I just come before you right now. And how I pray that if there's anyone here that has never by faith trusted you, I pray the Holy Spirit will convict that, Father, that they will believe and at that very moment, you make them alive, you quicken them, you make them a new creation. And they'll go from being dead in sin to being dead to sin. Sin will no longer have dominion, for we're not under the law, but under grace. Father, we praise your name for your word and what it tells us. And the invitation we have to know you. Father, I pray that every single person here this morning knows you as Savior. And by faith, they've trusted. Not relying on anything they could ever accomplish or do to earn it. But by faith believing, they trust. Father, hold how that praises and glorifies you. Father, bless us as we go our separate ways today. As we walk out into the mission field, use us to be bold in our witness no matter what we say, no matter what we do. Father, may we do it all for your glory. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.